Thank you, Rick. Jamie, appreciate Jamie filling in. Nancy's off on vacation for a couple of days, and of course we pray for uh, several of the folks who are out of town uh, today, off on vacation. Brother Jeremy's off out of town, and Coach and I was kind of wondering how we were going to make it without supervision this morning, but we've, we've made it so far. Uh, but they're enjoying uh, a few days away, as well as some of the others here. And I'm glad you took the effort to come to church for a holiday weekend. This is a great crowd, and, and God will honor you for you taking the time and effort to be here. Uh, be turning the book of First Chronicles, chapter 16. First Chronicles, chapter 16. While you're turning, let me take the time. I really appreciate Denise for coming and spending some time and decorating the altar area. I believe we can all agree she's done a superb job. I believe we've got some new wreaths on the door. I love pastoring people that can do things. Uh, and, of course, it just makes the sanctuary look so much better. Job well done, Denise. Appreciate that. Let me give you an update on where we are. This is 20 years after the challenge of Goliath. Of course, that's what we looked at last week. 20 years have gone by. There's been some other things that have happened, and we'll probably back up and look at those as we look at children's Bible stories. But I want to zero in on this. David is now king, and we're looking at one of the biggest celebrations the country had ever seen up to that time. It was a holiday. So as we talk about our own national holidays and our own holidays with our families within our church, this is an appropriate passage of Scripture. And in the middle of all this holiday and this celebration, David pauses to lead the entire country in giving thanks to God. And he delivers a song, a hymn, to the hand of Asaph, his song director. Now, if this passage of Scripture seems familiar, you've seen it again. It's the 105th Psalm. David wrote at least 73 hymns. He was a songwriter. And those, of course, are recorded in the Psalms. This is one of them. This is one of the most appropriate passages of Scripture for us to read as Christians and as Americans when it comes to the Thanksgiving holiday. First Chronicles chapter 16, beginning in verse 7. Would you stand as the Scriptures read, please? This will be a lengthy passage of scripture, but you'll notice as we start, there's just no way to find a stopping place. Every part of this psalm is important. Verse 7, on that day David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders, the judgments of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant. O you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. When you were few in number, 
indeed very few, and strangers in it. When they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sake, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. O oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The earth is also firmly established. It shall not be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field rejoice and all that is in it. Then the trees of the woods shall rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. And say, Save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us to let, together and deliver us from the Gentiles, to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word records the praise that is due your name. And we ask, Father, that we would know how to adequately praise your name. We ask as a church that we would declare your glory among the peoples. We ask as your families that, Father, we would declare the mighty works that you've done for us. Help us, Father, to be the instrument to inform the world of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This was a good psalm. This is a great hymn that he wrote. Wonderful admonition to the people of Israel and an admonition to all of us today. Let's look at the occasion. What would cause such a holiday and such an outpouring of praise? In verse 1 of this passage of Scripture, So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. The occasion is the moving of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, this may not seem to be a, a big deal for us because, of course, we're looking back on hindsight. But from the very beginning, from the very beginning when God established the nation, it was his intention for there to be a central place of worship. I want to turn back to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 12 just for a reference for this. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5, But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for a dwelling place, and there you shall go. In verse 11 of Deuteronomy chapter 12, he says this again, Then there shall be a place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you will bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithe, 
the heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. Now, five more times, God mentions through the book of Deuteronomy that there would be a central place of worship. There is where he would place his sanctuary, in one place to stay, and it would be that place where their attention would be drawn. Not that God has to live there, but God knows there needs to be a focal point, and there needs to be a focal time of praise and of prayer and of worship. So he said, there'll be a central place, the place that I choose to put my name there. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was the key component in the place of worship, the tabernacle. It was in the Holy of Holies. That was where the glory of the Lord would abide. Not just the presence of God, but that would be the place he symbolized for his glory. But up till now, it had just been moved about. If you look in the book of Judges, it was like the Wild West. The ark of God would be here for a little bit. It would be there for a little bit. It would just be moved around. And then after the Philistines captured it 75 years earlier, they captured it, if you remember the story, and took it off and they put it into the temple of their god, Dagon. They got up the next morning and he was on his face. Then the whole people were afflicted with some horrible things and some diseases. And they said, we, we're going to send it back. And then after that, the ark of God, the place that was supposed to be the central location for worship, was carried about from house to house. There was no central place of worship. And with no central place of worship, there's no central focus of worship. The king was leading the country to finally get in line with God's instructions. Now, that is what a national leader should do. That is what a leader of any group of people should do, to keep the people in line with God's instructions. And after all this time, 450 years about, since the ark was constructed, it finally had a central resting place. We, of course, can identify with this big celebration. David did it upright. If you look in verse 3, he distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. I would say that is the first Thanksgiving feast. It didn't happen back in Plymouth. It happened right here. It was Thanksgiving. They were giving of thanks, and David had all this food, and he did one better. He gave them to go plates, and they took all the food home with them. And he said it was a good piece of meat and a loaf of bread. And so we understand it was one of the best possible days you could ever have as a country. Israel finally seemed to be a country. They finally had a leader that seemed to be carrying them in the right direction. And they had the ark in the capital of the country. And they had the temple, the tabernacle, the place of worship. Things were coming together. And then he said, he gave this psalm to Asaph. First thing he instructs his people to do, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Now, in this passage of Scripture, we have some evidence of a truly thankful heart. Now, we won't go through all the evidences, but I'm going to look at just a few. A truly thankful heart. What's the evidence of a truly thankful heart? It's easy to say thank you. 
But when our heart is truly thankful, a truly thankful heart, first of all, will tell somebody else about what God's done. In verse 8, give us thanks to, let, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Look at this. The very same sentence. Make, his, make known his deeds among the people. Give thanks to the Lord. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing songs to him. Talk of all his glorious works. Now we might think my thanks to God is just between me and God alone. God says, oh no, it's not. When we are really thankful, the thanks we have in here will eventually come out right here. When our thanks is really, when our thanksgiving to God is really genuine, then we will tell somebody what God has done. It goes a little bit further. If you'll look in verse 23, sing to the Lord all the earth, Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all the people. Now we, of course, turn to the end of the book of Matthew, and we might say that is the first time that the Great Commission is mentioned in the Bible. Oh, no, it's not. This is exactly what Jesus told them to do, isn't it? He said this, Proclaim the good news of his salvation every day, and proclaim it among all peoples. Well, to me, that's the Great Commission. He said that those who are truly thankful would proclaim what God has done, particularly they would let people know there is salvation available with God. He didn't just say, let them know what he's done for our country and how blessed our country is. He said, you be sure and talk to them about salvation. Now, we may look at this passage of Scripture and say, well, you said that's the Great Commission. That's talking about mission work and uh, sending missionaries. I'm not one of them. So does this apply to me? Yes, it does. Passage of Scripture that really brings it into focus is in Mark chapter 5, verse 18. That was a man whose life was wrecked, totally wrecked by sin and sin's influence on his life. He lived in a, a cemetery. He wore no clothes. He screamed all night long. He was a wild man. Then Jesus showed up. And Jesus took care of his sin problem. And his life was totally transformed. It says he was quiet. He was clothed. He was of a sound mind sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus is just about to leave. And in Mark chapter 5, verse 18, when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Let me go with you. Let me be all about the mission work that you're doing. I'd love to travel to all these other people. And look what Jesus told him. However, Jesus did not permit him but said, Go home to your friends. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you how he's had compassion on you. That's exactly what this psalm is saying. Tell them what God's done. Not just what God's done, what God's done for you. And where was his mission field? Go home to your friends. Home to your friends. All of us have a mission field. All of us have people who need to hear of the love of God. When we are really thankful, we will not have any problem 
telling others and showing others what God has done for us. A truly thankful heart seeks a closer relationship with God. In verse 10, glory in his name. Let the hearts of those who rejoice, let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Three times it mentions seeking the Lord. Now, what, what's this business of seeking the Lord? They were in the presence of the Lord. You would think of it, they've already found the Lord. Well, it says, seek the Lord, seek his strength, and seek his face forevermore. Now, the face of God always referred to and symbolized the favor of God on our lives. We should seek the favor of God on our lives. And what does that mean? It means we should seek the will of God in our life. Now, the word here, evermore, means continually. It's not a once and done thing. Well, I'm going to dedicate my life to the Lord. Then we just kind of move on with our life. If we're going to seek the face of God, the favor of God, the will of God, it has to be an everyday thing. It has to be continually. If it's going to be anything at all, it has to be continually. When our hearts are truly thankful, then we will want to do the will of God. We will seek the presence of God. We will seek the worship of God. We won't have any problem being dragged, kicking, and screaming until the worship of God. When we're thankful, we want to be with God, and we want to have his favor in our lives. James said it this way, Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you in James chapter 4, verse 8. And let's just put it this way. When we seek God, and then when we discover God, we will find that God was already seeking for us a long time before we sought him. We seek God, we'll find that he was seeking us as well. A truly thankful heart is a generous heart. Verse 29, give to the Lord glory, do his name, bring an offering, and come before him. Same sentence. To give God the glory, do his name, bring an offering, come to him. You see, the condition of our heart will affect the position of our hand. A truly thankful heart produces a truly open hand when it comes to giving to God because a truly thankful heart recognizes God gave us everything that's in our hand. God warned them of the opposite of this in Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you want to go back and turn, be several verses that we want to read in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11, he gives them a warning, and he gives them some information. Let's back up to verse 10. When you have eaten and are full, then you will bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. 
Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judges, his statutes, which I command you this day. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and a thirsty land. There was no water who brought you water, water for you out of the flinty rock, who led you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you. He might test you to do good in the land. And then you say in your heart, my power in the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. It is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Beware, when God has blessed you, and you have all these blessings, that you don't forget the Lord your God. And you beware that you don't get the attitude, my hand and my might have gotten me this wealth. This is my wealth. These are my things. This is my money. This is my time. And God says, none of it's yours. I gave you every bit of it. And when we realize that God has given us every bit of it, then we are more willing to let go of it because we don't claim it as ours from the very start. But when we have the mindset, this is my stuff, this is my life, these are my resources, and we close up our fist, and we hold on to it, and we're not willing to give, our hearts are not truly thankful. A truly thankful heart gives an open hand to give to God, to give to others. A generous heart is a thankful heart. A truly thankful heart is in good company. You see, when our hearts are really thankful, then we join in with all the creation. In verse 31, let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them, the heavens and the earth, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field rejoice in all that is in it. Then the trees of the wood shall rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. The heavens, the earth, the fields, the sea, the, the, the trees of the woods, all of these give praise to God. And when we are willing to give praise to God and thank God, then we are simply joining in with all of the rest of the creation. You remember when Jesus rode into town on the back of the donkey and all the little kids were saying, Hosanna, thou son of David, glory to God in the highest. And the Jewish leaders were a bit uncomfortable. He said, you're going to have to shut that up. He said, I'm going to tell you, if not a person in here gives thanks to me, the very rocks will cry out. You see, the whole nation, the whole of nature, the whole earth gives thanks to God and declares the glory of God. His glory, his existence, his very presence is testified of all creation. The heavens, the earth, all of it. Now, when we are willing to have a thankful heart, we just join in and get with all of nature. So we look at the evidence of a truly thankful heart. And you might say, well, I can see where they could be thankful. Look at what happened. 
God had brought them, and, what, and God had, had brought them from Egypt, and God had brought the ark there, and it was a wonderful nation. Man alive, he gave them gold plates to go home. Yeah, I'd be thankful too. What does that got to apply to me? Well, at the very first of this passage of Scripture, if you look real close, you'll see the gospel message. You'll see the gospel message. And if we have nothing else to be thankful for, we can be thankful for salvation. Because let me tell you, salvation is everything. And nothing else in the world can compare with it. It is the greatest gift. Where do we see salvation, the gospel message, in this passage of Scripture? Look in verse 1. When they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle, David erected for it. They offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. They offered peace offerings, sacrifices to God. Now, what's that all about? What that's all about is this. Sin demanded a payment. And God chose to symbolize what Christ would do with the sacrifices that would be offered on that altar. The lambs, the goats, all of these sacrifices, totally inadequate. But God symbolized what Jesus would do. You see, the gospel message is all about this. Number one, sin is present. Sin is in all of our hearts. Sin demands a penalty. God did not have to institute any of this. But he instituted worship that would point to Jesus Christ. And then he sent Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, that took away the sin of the world. And all of us have access to that salvation. And those of us who are saved, if nothing else is going right in our life, everything is right because we know Jesus Christ. And ultimately, everything will be right. We prepare for an invitation to him. What's going on in, in your world? Despite our hardships, despite our, our bad days, despite what pain we may have, Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price, so any and all of this is temporary, and our eternity is secure. And our home is for sure through Jesus Christ. Are we really thankful for that? Despite everything we might lose, we've got it all, haven't we? We've got it all through Jesus Christ. Are we really thankful? These evidences of a thankful heart, maybe you said, you've hit a nerve. Maybe something you need to talk to God about. Maybe you've never accepted Christ. You've never accepted the forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Perfect day to do that would be today. As we stand and sing. Number 141.